no matter what people tell you that you can't do or can't be or can't have or you're not good enough for this or you don't deserve that, I say BS. You can have anything that you can envision and dream. Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast, where we showcase phenomenal individuals who have overcome serious traumas, life obstacles, and challenges to find their own path to fearless happiness. Listen as Max Nast invites guests from all around the world to share their experiences and spread strength, hope, and faith. This is the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and this is Max Nast. All right, everybody, this is Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and I like to say, remember, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in this world. We're coming to you from Canada, where my next guest is from. I have an amazing guest, and what I like to do, um, Shelly, Shelly Ann, is have my guests introduce themselves to my audience, who you are and what it is you do, and then you and I are going to rock and roll and have some fun. Oh, my gosh. Well... Uh, okay, as you said, I'm like based in Kelowna, BC, Canada, in the mountains. And what do I do? Well, I basically train coaches all around the world uh, in addiction recovery coaching. Uh, I also work as a recovery coach, mostly with um, mostly like high profile execs or professionals, uh, women who are like successful entrepreneurs, that sort of thing. Uh, and I also uh, recently launched uh, was the founder of a of support community for women who struggle with food addiction called Soul Sisters United. And that launched last, last March. Um, and I'm also still, you know, I still produce television, film, video content, uh, but mostly now I'm focused on content that is related to addiction recovery. And, and I'm just generally a human that's like, you know, happy and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes fearless. <laughs> Well, you know, this is going to be great, everybody. And I want you to listen to Shelly Ann because uh, recovery coach to recovery coach, we know how horrible this disease. And like you said, like you heard her, she works with executives, you know, top people, right? So it's not just the pictures you see of like someone on the street being homeless. It affects everywhere in between from the top down. It's just a nasty disease, right? And so I want to jump into you. So how did you, or tell me a little bit about your your beginnings, right? What were some of the challenges you went through, Shelly Ann, that actually led you to get into this field? Oh, my gosh. Well, I I wish I could say, like, I chose this field initially, but I didn't. You know, I mean, um, I but if I was to say, like, kind of what got me to this place is I think it was my career in television and music. I worked as a film and TV producer for about 25 years and I managed a female recording artist, an indigenous recording artist. And I think with the entertainment and music industry, I mean, there is just this really, I don't know what would be the right choice of words here, but I mean, there's just a lot of like party. It's a big party scene, right? I mean, you know, and, and it's actually very encouraged. Everything was like free and it was like over the top all the time. And then I'm just one of those personalities. It's like, go in and go hard, you know? So I, uh, yeah, just, just went a little too much sometimes. And then before you knew it, I, I mean, I was just like overdoing it. And so, I, but interestingly enough, like I was a high functioning person. So I think that like, that's where I didn't, you know, I think stereotypically, like you said, hey, this can affect people of all walks of life. Yeah. It's not just, you know, you know, people who are um, like struggling and homeless. I mean, I was still pulling off multi-million dollar production meetings and wasted out of my face, but nobody knew, you know, you couldn't really tell. And so, you know, I'm just overdoing it. Like I think being really driven to try to get to like to the top and become a really successful producer and to right. help my artists win awards and get record deals and things like that. I was just really pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. And like, you can, you can only do that for so long. And so eventually I got to the point where like my body wanted to quit. And although my mind didn't want to, that's where I used a lot of substances and a lot of things that I shouldn't have been using, like, you know, this to go to bed and this to stay awake. And, this to keep keep going without sleep and you know so just started to abuse a lot of a lot of different things to to make my body do what it needed to do and my and you know luckily my mind was still functioning 
sometimes I wonder how the heck I ever did it looking back, you know, but then after several years of that, there became a point where I actually collapsed. I think I was 30 at that time. Yeah, I was 30 years old, went to my mom's. I just was coming off of working a horror movie at night and a regular film during the day. So I was working basically around the clock for like six months straight. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go on vacation for a couple of weeks now between film projects and decided to go visit my mom for a few days first, my mom and dad. I literally was not even there 24 hours and I collapsed and they ended up having to take me to the hospital. And, you know, and that was what kind of like started the recovery path for me. I mean, I, I guys, as I said to you, I said that, you know, there was a point where I remember being in the hospital, doctors leaning over me, he's going, you're not going to see your next birthday, young lady, if you don't change the way you live your life. And I honestly didn't believe him. I was like, ah, what is this doctor? No. Oh, you know, I've got this, you know, I'll just right. cut back a little, you know, I can right. do this. Um, yeah. And so and then I remember being up on this ward, you know, because I, I was hospitalized for like 30 days. And I remember them, like there was all these old people around me and I just couldn't have conversations, couldn't relate. And I remember saying to the nurse, can you move me to this room? I can room with somebody younger, like my own age. She's like, honey, there is nobody here your age, not on this ward, you know, and I I think that was a big eye opener for me. And then I saw, you know, people wheeling their oxygen tanks down the hallway that were like over 80. And I was like, oh, maybe this, maybe there's something to this, you know? And so that was actually like my first glimpse of it. And then, you know, I was like, I don't know, I was the queen of relapse. I had like 12 relapses before I finally figured it out. But I learned something from each and every one of those. And right. so I think in my own pursuit to try to figure out recovery and my own healing, you know, that's what really, you know, then, and then after I started to feel the healing and experience the healing and see what's possible when you have that healing, that's what inspired me to want to go down that path and, and help others achieve it too. I can only imagine it was the same for you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It takes what it takes. And, and, and I know you probably felt this way at times when you were in your addiction, right? Like I remember walking the streets, having nowhere to go, but I was like, ah, this is temporary, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is just bad luck right now, right? Not taking accountability for all the things I did. I, I remember when my mom first time she kicked me out of the house, like she was done, like get out, you know? And I remember walking around the city I was in and it started, it was like one of those movie scenes. It started raining on me. I'm crying like a little baby. Oh. You know, the next day when it got sunny, it was like, and then I got high. It was like, I forgot all about that. Right. And okay. then it was the pursuit. Right. And, and, you know, working in that industry, because as you know, whether I mean, wherever I'm, they glamorize like drinking and right. Yeah. There's especially like when I was growing up, they made smoking look cool, like drinking a drink after, you know, like that's the thing to do. But like you, I was once it started getting bad, like I did not heed any of the warning signs, you know, when people yeah. said like, you're going down, like my brother, God rest his soul. When I first started after my divorce started getting like, he could see it coming. He goes, <laughs> he goes, you start on vacation, you're going to end up on probation. And I told him like, shut up. You don't even know what you're talking. And he's, you know, on parole. I, I, he goes, I looked at him like, you don't know what you're talking about. And then, yeah. you know, I'm going to say it sure as shit. I end up on probation, almost going to prison because of my addiction. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it takes, you know, as well as I know, it takes what it takes. And sometimes, right, the ones that are closest to us, if we're seeing them go through that struggle, and no matter how many times we want to just grab them and say, listen and shake them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Got to step back. And because if they're not hearing you, it doesn't matter if your mom, brother, you know, dad, they're not going to do, they're not going to change until they get to that point. Right. So, so you're in the hospital, right. And you, you're starting. It's funny that you say that. Cause I, I remember sitting in jail going, this is just bad luck. It's the same as the doctor telling you like, yep. you need to stop what you're doing or you're not going to make it to your next birthday. Yeah. Right. So 12 relapses. I, I had four. Um, but I, like you said, the thing I can look back on like you is I learned from each one of those, like, mm -hmm. right. But yeah. we know if we get caught up again, it's harder to come back after relapse, after relapse. Oh, yes. yes. So tell Restarting? my, yeah. So tell <laughs> my audience, is right? the hardest. Oh, <laughs> right? My 
right? They, it's kind of true even in the rooms when they say, you know, I have another, I, I have another relapse in me, but I may not have another recovery. And you know, with this fentanyl epidemic, that is now that's truer than ever. I mean, I don't know how many oh. kids I've gotten the call from mom or dad or wife or, you know, husband that, you know, they relapse and it was just one time and they didn't make it back. So yeah, so many cases like that. Yeah. Right. So tell some more of your story. Like as you're going through these relapse, what are some of the lessons you're learning that are slowly pushing you to recovery to go, I got to find out how to do this. And I really want to stay sober. How did that work for you? That's a great question. You know, I don't know if I've reflected on that really, like in terms of like, you know, the, like chronologically what happened, but I mean, I think what happened was it, I don't know, because it's like, I didn't, I wasn't working with a coach at the time. So it wasn't like I had somebody who said, you know, well, look back and like, let's figure out what happened there. What didn't go right. What could you have done differently? Like what could have set you up for success? I didn't have that, but I guess I had the mindset to look back on that and go, okay, what, what went wrong there? Like, how did I get down that slippery slope and how did I end up in that bad situation? <laughs> um, you know, and sometimes there was things that like I, I couldn't identify at the time. And like, as I got better and better at recovery, you know, I did figure out later, but like, you know, maybe it was like, oh, okay. Like uh, I went to that bar and I blew all my cash and now I have no money for rent. And, you know, I'm going to be, I'm, you know, I remember one time I was like, I don't know if I'm saying this on here will get me in trouble, but I mean, I remember putting empty envelopes in the ATM just to get cash to, because back in the day you could do that. You could put an empty envelope in and get cash. I would just like totally rip it off the ATM to get cash to pay rent because <laughs> I blew it all at the bar, you know, and yeah. up the nose and down the throat, you know I mean? So it's like, yeah, but I think it was like learning, you know, learning from each of those times. So I think I learned you know, my limits in terms of like, you know, who I could hang out with, who I couldn't hang out with, you know, who, which friends like would encourage me to get um, deeper into it versus which ones were supporting me to get out of it and helping me to, to get the healing and or introducing me to things that where I, I could experience healing. And I think I always kind of knew that there was like this deeper, something better for me. Like, I just, I don't know, where that comes from, maybe my parents, you know, early on. Um, but I just kind of always felt like oh, I could, I could, I can come back from this. I know I can learn different. I can do better. And I think it was like, I wish I could pinpoint exactly what, but I, I mean, every one of those lessons, I'm going to say there was financial lessons, but I think the biggest ones were health related to me. You know, I mean, I put my health through the ringer and sometimes, and, and even my safety, when I think back to like sometimes the condition that I would drove, drove drive home, I can't believe I'm not dead or didn't kill somebody, you know, thank my higher power for that because holy, um, you know, and I, and, and I think that the, you know, the, the relationships and the people that I hurt and the disappointments that I caused, you know, those sorts of things are, are what actually helped me, I think, to get better. And, you know, I think that that whole, like, everybody's bottom is different. I think there's some truth to that because, right. you know, it was like, eventually it got to the point where I'm like, okay, I got to stop doing this. I can't keep doing this. And I want better for myself. And I think, right. although sometimes I didn't really believe I could get, get better or I could have better life, there was a part or piece of me inside that did know that. And I think that, that listening to that voice really helped. Um, yeah, because I mean, I didn't find a connection with a higher power until later on, like even I'm going to say the first little bit of my recovery, I didn't have that at all. Um, uh, I actually I, felt like, you know, what I would consider my higher power now, I actually felt like I was abandoned by it and didn't have any connection to it whatsoever. And, you know, like, how could God let me go through all this stuff in my life, you know? And, and, uh, so I was kind of like pissed off at God, to be honest you know, and then um, that changed. <laughs> right. Well, see, and I, I'm smiling because I'm relating. Yeah. When I first too. got sober and my sponsor and the people in the meeting say, Oh, you need to find God or find in higher power. And I'm like, yeah. no, sorry, not happening. I'm like really pissed off at him right now. Right. Cause I would tell my sponsor, like, if he loved me so much, like you guys all say, right. Well, how did he put, why would he take my kids yeah. away. And then why would he put me in jail? And yeah. I've shared this before with other guests, right? Like he goes, really? 
He goes, one, you gave your kids away because drugs and alcohol were more important. He didn't take them. He protected them from you until you got better. And then the whole jail thing. And, you know, he made me write these, you know, times when I didn't get arrested or I mean, the times I did, what would have happened if I didn't right? and I'd have to write it out and who was I running with and what was I doing? And, you know, I, I look back and I, I came back to him and I go, you're right. I go, I could have got hurt really bad or somebody could have got hurt or I could be sitting. I wouldn't even be having this conversation because I'm sitting in prison. Yeah. And he goes, okay, I want you to think about that. Right. Yeah. I hate when he does that. Like I hate yeah. you make me think about something. Right. Um, That's a great reframe really. When you think about it, Hey, because you know, we look at that. We're like, well, what happened in those moments so that we forget about all those times where we have been spared. Absolutely. Know? Especially yeah. like I, I can relate to your story, right? Going to the point where, like, here's how bad it got one time for me. And I think you can relate. It's like going to the hospital, right? So I remember going out with my friends. It was like right when, well, it was bad. My addiction was bad. We we had gotten drunk. It was my birthday, right? So he drops me off at home and gives me a bag of, of meth, right? So I'm like, yeah. oh, my favorite, right? Bonus, yeah. Yeah, so I, I figure I'm drunk. I'm going to put it all out. I'm going to do it all. So I do it all. And I put it in the syringe. And I... And I just remember I woke up the next morning. Thank God I had locked, I was at my mom's house and I yeah. had locked the door. And I woke up on the floor with the needle in my arm. Wow. And I was like, you would think that was one of those moments you would go, think about this, bud. Look where you're going, right? No, I called my friend. I said, hey, man, this is what happened. I must have been really good. You got any yeah. more? I need more. Yeah. I was just yeah. Gonna say. He was like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, dude, that must have been really good dope because I I need more. Will you come? He just goes, Max, call me later. I can't even talk to you right now. Yeah. The insanity um, of it, hey? Right. And But I know I'm like you. We're we're alike in the sense now, and I I feel it in my heart right now. You and I want to help people not get to that point or come back from that point and break that stigma that's so attached to addiction or alcoholism right you're either that bum behind the store with the brown paper bag or you're the guy on skid row coming out of a cardboard box shooting dope in your arm right which yeah that's some of our stories right but that's not all of our stories right i mean i did lose everything but um so talk about so now you're getting sober what were some of the challenges you went through shelly ann that because i know you had to have moments because i know i did where you're like Mm. I just want to throw my hands up. I I know how to do this. I'm just going to go back and do what I know best. And but what drove you to keep going? And despite the, because you know we have setbacks all the time. Something doesn't go our way, or you know, whatever. Yeah. But talk about those challenges early on that kept you going despite those events that you just wanted to throw your hands up and go. I'm done. I'm going to go get high again, or I'm going to go get drunk. Yeah. And can I speak, I want to speak for just a second about what you had said about the, the, like the, the guy behind the store with the paper bag or the homeless person or whatnot, you know, and if you really, you know, I've seen people who were really successful end up in that place. And I've also seen people who like never were successful and who started in that place and now are. So I've seen it go like both directions. And I've also seen people who like come up and then lost it all. And, you know, I mean, like, but it, I think that I share that only because I think it's inspiring to know, like, I have a friend who uh, I admire really deeply who, you know, I mean, he was, he was homeless. You know, he talked about how that he would go from yard to yard, you know, trying to find a hose just so that he could take some sort of a bath. And now, you know, I mean, he's got recovery. He went out and pursued his um, dream job to become a nurse. He's going to school. He's like graduated. He's like helping people living his life and living his purpose. Like, and it's just, he's like a whole new man, found a wife, you know, he's married, he's happy. It's just super, super inspiring. You know, so I think that, you know, we can, I think as humans, we're so resilient and we can really, um, if you want it, you can have it, you can create it, you know? And I've said envisioning that is the first piece of it. So he saw that he wanted that. I knew I wanted something different. And that's like, I think having that vision for what you do really want right. is so, so key because if you don't have your set sight set on something, exactly, then what's the point? 
Yeah. And you're right, because that's how I think my sponsor framed it for me. It was like, picture what it's going to look like. What do you want your life to look like as a sober man in recovery? Right. Yeah. And and start pick. But, you know, it's hard when you're coming, you know, like I came from jail. Right. I was threatened with three years in prison, that street lifestyle. Like it was hard for me to even fathom, even though I had been there at one point before my addiction took off to go, I'm going to be successful. Right. Yeah. And that's what I tell clients of mine. I go, just picture what success is going to look like for you. It doesn't have to be the cars, the house, but whatever that looks like. Right. Because your brain doesn't know, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between real and not real. So, whatever you put into your brain, it's going to come to fruition. Like, I don't know, one of those famous personal development guys that you, you, Whatever uh, I think it's Napoleon Hill, right? Whatever your thoughts become things, and and if you yeah. keep the right stuff coming into your brain, the more positive things are going to happen, right? Yeah. And it's and as you know, it's difficult in the beginning, right? Oh, very much so, <laughs> right? very much so. And I think in my in those relapses, kind of back to your other question, is that yeah. like I feel like I didn't have a problem necessarily with drugs and alcohol. I had a problem with like living life. You know, I didn't know how to live life sober. I didn't know how to like manage my emotions. I didn't know how to feel emotions. I didn't know how to like, you know, speak up for myself. I didn't know how to have boundaries. I didn't know how to have any of that stuff. And it's just so, but I think that that's kind of the, the lessons that I learned along the way is like, you know, I, I, I wish I could say that it all happened at once, but I guess that's why I relapsed like 12 times, right? Is I learned different things along the right. way. And, 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 and that's where I think that, you know, when we have messed up and we're coming back from, you know, whatever situation it is that, you know, we've destroyed as a result of addiction that we come back and we just like want to make it all better, all like go straight to the top. And I think that it's okay to go slow too. Cause then I think it's, if we go too far, like to try to jump in and, you know, fix everything all at one time, that that can be feel a little overwhelming. But if we just like Absolutely. work on one thing, fix this, fix that, fix the next thing, fix this, you know, and when I say fix, I don't, I don't mean that things are broken, but I think in a sense, like, I don't know, I I did feel broken and I felt like there was parts and pieces of me that needed healing. And as I worked on those things and, you know, they weren't easy, uh, but sometimes taking a look at that and, and like just being open and trusting people and being able to share my really honest experiences, like that was huge. And I think that that was the ticket to recovery, really, because I never shared anything with anybody. I, I mean, I, people would come to me with stuff all the time, but I did not. Right. I was not an open person. Like to talk about this, like right now, like I am with you, never would have happened. Right. And that never. takes time, right? And it, but well, there's a couple things, and I've said this before on the right people in recovery and people that weren't in recovery on this show. Right. I always talk about addiction and what the opposite of that was. Right. And there's that famous uh, British uh, journalist who did a, a, a TED Talks. Right. And he always says at the end, he says, what is the opposite of addiction? And and he would sit there for a second. He goes, no, it's not sobriety. It's connection. 100%. Right. Right. And, I, you know, as well as I do, we have to learn to connect with ourselves first because. A lot of that mistrust is because we don't mm-hmm. trust ourselves. And I know I had a, right? Because I had screwed things up so bad. Like, how can I trust anybody when I can't even trust myself? Um, and, uh, you know, and then there's that um, famous psychologist or doctor, I think, uh, from your neck of the woods in Canada, right? Gabor Mate, who says, oh, yeah, love that. Right. That, Addiction all stems from some type of trauma, right? Whether it's childhood, whatever. Um, So I was going to ask, like, was there any, as you got sober, did you ever look back and go, well, wow, that was traumatic. Yeah, I see why I drank over that. And Totally. And Totally. Right? So you can go as deep as you want, but because that's also like, I want my audience to listen that they're not alone, right? People... um, around the globe, like yourselves and I have all gone through some type of trauma. And I want to show them, you know, through your experience, like, how did you deal with that as you were getting sober? Right. Because like, I know for me, like you said, if I was mistrusting of this higher power, I was supposed to find, right. Cause I always thought he's the one that caused all this, right. If he was all loving, how did you start to overcome that trauma? Cause right. Mm -hmm. And 
not that overcome it, but work on it so that you can yeah. stay sober and help other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think healing is like the term I tend to use. Like, how did I heal from it? Right. I think first of all is like, I never really knew anything about trauma and I didn't even know that that could be a cause of this until I started to do the work. And, and when I say the work, I mean, being willing to go inside and get curious about what's happening for me, my thoughts, my feelings. And, you know, I know that you, you, um, you're intrigued by mindfulness. And I think that that was a very big thing for me too, because I was very disconnected from my body, my mind, my spirit. I mean, I just, I just wanted to numb out everything. I didn't want to feel anything. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? So, so it was like feeling what, like, you know, that was the hardest thing when I started to do therapy or counseling was they say, what are you feeling in your body? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel nothing. Like I, you know, it's very disconnected. So I think mindfulness has allowed me to kind of reconnect with my, my mind and my body and my spirit in, in different ways. Um, but I think in terms of, and so I think in doing that, that's when I re started to realize like, oh, like there's more things going on here. And, and I think it was in working with a therapist or a counselor first, where I really saw that, oh, perhaps this challenge that I dealt with, I mean, I, I was a victim of, of childhood sexual abuse um, by an extended family member. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know the impact that that could have on me, you know, and I tried, I tried to tell my parents about it, but my parents also drank. My parents were partying at the time when I let them know about that, right. did nothing. They feel horrible today for it, you know, because, you know, my mom is like, I, I'm so, I felt like she felt so bad that she didn't like hear me in that moment, take me right. really seriously. Right. And, but they were drinking and they were partying when I told them. And I don't even know why I picked that time to tell them, but it's what I did, you right. know? And so <laughs> just, you know, for whatever life circumstances played out the way that they did, but I had no idea the impact that that would have on me, you know? And so, you know, um, I, you know, I didn't want my body to be seen. I didn't want, you know, then I think that's why I first, my first addiction actually, I think was food and sugar because it was accessible to me as a young person. It was a way to numb out. It was a way to like hide, um, you know, and I didn't know that at the beginning, I found that out later, you know, I mean, I, other trauma. I mean, I just, you know, I have a lot of respect for my father now, um, you know, but I actually wanted my dad to have a very different relationship with my dad than what my dad had. But my dad grew up in a tough household, you know, where, there, you know, was 11 kids and there was, you know, challenges uh, financially, mentally, you know, all sorts of things. And so I don't think my dad got the love that he really, you know, right. needed and deserved either. And so like, if you grow up, I believe if you grow up in an environment where that's not modeled for you, I mean, how can you be the one to give that? And I didn't understand that at first. So I had a lot of anger towards my dad because I wanted this like really tight, you know, father, daughter, princess, sort of sort of situation that just never really happened. But, you know, that to me was traumatic too, because I wanted something that I couldn't have with him. Right. You know, you know, and it wasn't until again, a lot of work <laughs> later on down the line where I, you know, finally have forgiveness and understanding. And I actually, I have a lot of compassion for how my father grew up now. Um, and I wish that he would have had, you know, that sort of an experience. Um, so I think that, you know, things like that, I, I was the victim of a violent crime twice as a woman, and that that was devastating, you know, and so like, there became this point at which it was like, what's happening? How come these things are going on for me? And I just, you know, after that, those two situations happened, and that's like when I went really hard on the drugs and the alcohol, because it was just like, I just wanted to disconnect. And so, you know, and then I, I didn't do therapy or any sort of healing work around that for a long time. I just didn't want to talk about it. And I've lived a lot of my life in fear after that, you know, walking through a parking lot at night is like right. traumatic and, you know, and you don't even realize sometimes like how even, and, and, and it's not always what I call, and to me, those are what I would call like big T traumas, you know, cause they're major things, right. but there's small T traumas too. And that just might be, you know, somebody being like super disrespectful to you in the workplace or a friend right. who like, you know, doesn't show you the compassion that they should when you need it, you know? And so Absolutely. all of those things, you know, when you start stacking that stuff up after a while, it starts to, I think, influence who we are on the inside and um, and how we see ourselves, you know, whether it's accurate or not, you know. And yeah, and so I think that that's where drugs and alcohol and all these other substances and things like everything from pornography, gambling, shopping, video gaming, you know, it all works. 
right. it's a dopamine hit, man. And it, and it like takes away the pain, right? Absolutely. Right. And if we don't have that guidance when we're growing up, right. To, cause my mom was a single mother, right. My dad and mom divorced when I was five and then I didn't see him for a long time. So my mom mm-hmm. had to play both parts. So I understand that. Right. So I, I'm kind of, I always tell myself I'm kind of traumatized because when she played the dad part, boy, she was tough. Like I didn't, you know, yeah. like she didn't mess around, but uh, growing up, there wasn't, you know, much affection, if you know what I mean, because she was busy working yeah. and I understand it took me to get sober to realize yeah. they did the best they could with what they knew how. Right. And I had yeah. to really figure out like how their childhood was. I couldn't blame mom anymore for my, you know, I couldn't blame dad anymore, Yeah, even though, you know, I found out one of my big reasons, and I've shared this before, I'll share it with you, is like, he came back when I was 10, right? And we we're seeing my dad, and my birthday's in March. So it was about January. He says, I got to go back to the Philippines. He was married to another lady at the time. Got to go back there, but I promise I'll be back for your birthday, right? So as a little 10-year-old, right, March comes and goes, and I'm like, no, dad, here we go again, right? Mm. And then April See, that's rolled a trauma. Around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I figured that out now, right? And then- April came around and then I got the word that my dad had passed away of a massive heart attack at 55 years old. Oh my. I didn't even cry. I got angry. And I remember when I pinpoint all that inner work that I did, that was the day when I said, I will never get my hopes up. I will never be, you know what I mean? I will never let anybody break promises to me, which people would anyway. But you know what I mean? As an 11 year old kid, right? I realized that was traumatic and, you know, and I was afraid to even do that in the beginning, right? That's why yeah. I drank and used any uncomfortable feeling. I knew exactly what was going to take it away. Then going yeah. through a divorce, right? And another uncomfortable, not seeing my kids. And oh my, we could probably spend hours and hours discussing our stories, which are probably very similar, right? And and the pain, right? But then also at the the flip, the back, the flip side of that, right? Pain can be a great motivator when you're when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Then you become yeah. willing, I think, to go, okay, God. Yeah. I hate you right now, but I'll do this because I know you think that this is best for me. And then you come back, right? You get through it and you yeah. go, okay, thank you, God. I love you. You know, thanks for getting me through that. Um, but here's one thing that I've taught, um, been taught, I should say, and I try to teach too, is embrace that process. It's not the end result. It's it's the the process that you go through, right? And then, because once you get to the other side, you go, that's when you realize to yourself, yeah, Damn, I am pretty resilient. And yeah. then, you know, it stacks itself. Then you go, okay, next challenge, let's go, right? So, I mean, you yeah. talk about, okay, so you're you're working on yourself now. You're realizing, you know, family members did the best they could, right? Because we, if we, you and I live with the coulda, woulda, shouldas, we'd probably still be drinking, right? Doing our yeah, thing. Yeah. But I love what you said for a minute there when you said to like, you forgave and you, you have understanding and compassion for your mom. So I mean, can you imagine being a single mom trying to raise a boy, you know, all on her own? A single mom. I mean, I have huge respect for single moms, single dads, oh. you know, that's got to be so tough to do that solo. Um, but I think it's beautiful that you have an understanding of that too. But the, the, but the truth there is, is that, you know, you wanted the love and affection and the attention and like feeling like you're the best thing since sliced bread to mom. I wanted that from my dad, right. you know, that's a human thing, right? I think in that, and that's, I find that so common with people who have um, struggles with addiction. It's like, you know, there was that feeling of just like not being enough, not being loved, not having that really healthy attachment with our caregivers and like, Right. And, um, you know, and then, and then I think that that's why you, you know, trust and you just want to like check out. That's, I think why the drugs and the alcohol and all these other substances, they just work so good. They do their thing. Really? But like you said, there becomes a point where you do get sick and tired. Like I, I, I ended up in that hospital that one time. And like, I honestly didn't believe that doctor fully came back out and started, you know, using and stuff again too. And I'm like, oh, I'll just cut it back. Well, I, okay. I won't drink tequila and whiskey i'll just drink beer and wine you know that that'll be better right it won't be as harmful or like okay well i won't do cocaine i'll just do this now you know like so 
I thought if I just like, I thought I was doing harm reduction, you know, at the time, right. but I wasn't good with that. Cause I was like an all or nothing kind of gal. Like, you know, one was never enough and a thousand was too many. And, you know, so, um, it. you know, but, but I think that eventually, you know, so I, I did end up getting sick twice, two times more after that. And then I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was like, okay, there's gotta be a better way. And, and I think there just like something happened in my mind at that point where it was like, I have to try, I have to try to make this better. And I don't know if that you experienced the same, if there was like sort of that moment where you were like, I'm done, I have to create a better life for myself. And it was freaking hard at first. Cause I remember like all my friends from my entire life, they were all using, and I mean, I wouldn't hang out with people who didn't use. So it was like, <laughs> right. who, who am I going to hang out with now? If all of a sudden I'm straight, like what's going to happen to all my friends, what's going right. to happen to, you know? And, and I just remember thinking that, and, and even a lot of people that I know right now who have contemplated recovery, that's one of the things they're like, what would I do? I would have no friends anymore. How, what do we do with the friends that we have? You know? And I'm like, well, you, you do your thing. And if they're real friends, they'll still stick around and they'll respect the fact that you're trying to get sober and they won't bring a bottle of whiskey over and, right. or a bag of Coke or, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to respect you. And if they're not good friends, then I, then they're going to have to drift away eventually. And you're going to have to make a choice to, like either these people are in your life or they're not. And I did actually have to like weed out a lot of my friends, you know, unfortunately, yeah. but fortunately. And I, and I actually feel like that was a blessing in disguise too, because now the friends that I have in my life are so amazing and so empowering. And they, they're, they're more concerned about, you know, seeing me succeed and, and lifting me up versus helping me fall deeper down. You know, right. I don't know what's been, is that what's been your experience with that? Same, right? When I decided to, like in my case, we talked about before the show, right? Is when I decided to do the 12 steps, right? Because after my last relapse, it was one day, it was one use, right? And it was just like, I remember looking Boy. in the mirror in the bathroom and just seeing my life kind of flash through my eyes and I saw a skeleton of myself. And I'm like, right. And I, I remember after that, I just made this promise to God. I said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. If you keep me sober, I'll do whatever it takes to stay sober. I don't know what that means, but you know, cause I know you're looking at me like you already tried it, but you don't listen. Right. So I said, and, and here I am almost 21 years later. Cause I vowed to never break that promise. Right. Cause, cause now I'm, I'm a homeowner. Uh, I have a, an amazing wife that supports me, you know, like with this and anything I do, I have my three children, right? My son, I told you who almost died of a massive stroke three years ago, four years ago, two yeah. amazing. I have my youngest daughter who's sober now and who's really right now on fire for recovery, right? I have amazing stepkids and I've got 10 grandchildren. So I've got, wow. right. And, but to answer that question, I made that decision, right. To go, I'm only hanging out with people that want to help me and that are going to show me what it's like to be a sober man, right? In recovery. So I gravitated to guys with long-term sobriety. I watched how they treated their wives, how they treated their children, right? And like they say, I was watching what they were doing when nobody was looking, right? Because yeah. it taught me that's that's when it counts, right? Like I could give you all this fluff on here. You and I can have this great conversation. But at the end of the day, it's like when I turn off the computer, am I the same guy? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I want to be because now I, I'm leaving a legacy, hopefully for my children, you know, and my grandchildren, great grandchildren that come down the line that, you know, grandpa meant what he says and says what he means. He lived in integrity. Yeah. Right. He was always helping other people. That's, you know, it's not about the money. But like, you know, in, in that, that realm where people are successful, right? They say you're going to be the direct result of the five people you hang out with most. And yeah. then you and I know, right? In your business, it was like, I'm hanging out with the partiers, <laughs> right? And Shelly Ann became a partier, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. the same with me, right? I started hanging out with gang members and people on the street. And guess where I became, yeah. right? But now I choose to hang around people like yourself who have overcome those challenges and strive to be better, right? By hanging out people that are farther ahead than I am, yeah. that live in, you know, that that walk the walk and talk the talk, right? And this is 
I know it's working because it's led to this interview with you today, right? And if I wasn't living in integrity, you'd know it and you'd be like, Max, I'm passing on this. You know, you do yeah. what you got to do, but yeah. right. So yeah, it, you are breaking this cycle and I got to give you, you know, kudos for that because, you know, you're, you're living a life of an example. Like you, like you said, you're observing all these people around you and you're like seeing them live like the, the kind of man that you want to live. And now you're embracing that. And now you're creating this incredible like inspirational, like you're like an inspirational role model to your kids and to your grandkids. And you did change things. Not I'm hoping I am. You did change it. Yeah. Thank you, Shelly. But we both are, if you think about it, right? For the people around us, like we are the examples now, right? Do we have to be perfect at it? Absolutely not. We got to show we're human. But here's the thing that I like to say, right? We make those mistakes we show people how we bounce back from how we learn from it. And then we don't make the same mistake again, or it's going to show up again yeah. in our life, right? The lesson we need. Yeah, that's right? so true. And that's why I think relapse happens. You know, I have a lot of people who I've supported over the years and you know, there's a lot of shame in relapse, but I'm like, well, there's only shame in relapse if you don't learn from it. So like, let's look at it right. and go, okay, what, what went wrong? Like, what do you need to do to change things so that you can have an incredible successful next attempt? Right. And dust those knees off and let's just get back up and give it another go, you know, because this could be the time, you know, and, and look at, like you say, you know, you're living this amazing life. I would never have imagined in a million years that my life would be what it is today. I mean, I get to travel around all over the world. I just came back from living six weeks in Grand Cayman Islands, you know, or in the Cayman I'm- Islands. I was out there working you know, running my practice from there half of the day, hanging out on the beach the other half of the day. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, man, like this would have never been possible if I was still like drinking and drugging. Like it just never would have happened. Right. Cause I'd have blown all the money. I could have never have afforded to go there. Um, you know, and I wouldn't have cared cause I would have been having a great time, but, but, or I, so I thought I would have been, you know, <laughs> but, right. but my life now, like, I mean, I've run successful businesses, you know, it just would not be this way, you know, and so people say to me, oh, you must have a really boring life now that you live in recovery. And I'm like, no, actually, my life is more alive and more exciting than it's ever been. Like I see, that's right. like you talked about mindfulness. It's like, I never even noticed the beautiful trees and the animals and the birds and the things around me before. It was like, didn't exist. You know, now I live in one of the most beautiful places in Canada, you know, I'm surrounded by this incredible, like incredible trails and mountains and at like wildlife and like the water and just, I don't know. I, I just feel like, and I have so many like beautiful experiences every single day with people that just never, never would have been possible if I hadn't att- attained recovery. And I'm, I'm like going to be 17 years, so I'm not too far behind you. But I mean, that's 17 solid years now. And so right. like, I just couldn't even imagine going back to living life the way that I used to. Like, it's not even of interest to me anymore. No, and it can't be, right? Because you've come so far. We've come so far. And that's why I give, like, yeah, I don't, I'm not big on shaming people for relapse, right? Because I've seen it in meeting. They, you know, you get the, a crotchety old, old timer that does that. And I want to go punch him in the face and go... Dude, just because you came to a meeting your first time and never looked back, that's your story. Yeah. That is not the story of most people that go to NA or any anonymous meeting, right? Whether it's Eaters Anonymous, every whatever, right? You're going to hear about relapse, relapse, relapse. Yeah. And I'm like you. I just try to point out the good. Well, what did you learn, right? Like, what can we do differently? Yeah. Um, Because there's so much, like, I can't. I know it's cliche, but I'm the same way, Shelly Ann. It's like my worst day sober is still better than my best day drunk or loaded. You know, as I yeah. look back, I never had a good day drunk or loaded, if you think about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And if we anybody thought we did, but right. not, not after. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And when I look back, like I got to show you, right? So when I, when I see this picture, right, of my. Yeah second last arrest it, it brings me to down to earth to go remember those days they weren't yeah. fun were they um wow. you know what i mean and, yeah. and all of us it, although we have 
different stories, we have a common thread and it's called recovery, right? And it brings a lot of us together who would have normally not been together or hung out, as they said. That's one thing I love about what I've learned in the rooms is like, we are people who would not normally mix, but we get sober and we're unstoppable because we, we, we have something in common and that's our recovery. Yeah. And I'm enjoy, I enjoy this like really deep and honest and open conversation with you that we're having right now. And that's what I found that like people who do get recovery and like, I mean, I think you can be uh, a dry uh, person like you can be dry, but you might not be in recovery. You know what I mean? Cause I think like you have to do the <laughs> healing work to be in recovery. Right. So just removing the substance or the addiction or the process or whatever it is that you are addicted to does not account to recovery for me. It just means you're dry or you're like abstinence. You know, you got to do that work on the inside. You were laughing when I said that. What was coming up for you? Because uh, the same thing. I, I've met old timers like that who have gone to meetings but never done the work, right? Which is fine. And I've yeah. even said to their face, I like, look, hey, man, you know, I would just go get drunk because you're probably better when you're drunk than you're just a excuse my language, you're being an asshole, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Go, right. And, and that work, and I'm not trying to push anything here, everybody, if you're listening, yeah. it's whatever that work looks like for you, right? Yeah, to, exactly. To heal that inner child, I like to say, to get totally. some healing going, it could be the Buddhist 12 steps, AA's 12 steps, NA's, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't be afraid to get the help and, and to unbox some of this stuff, of course, with a professional that can help you, whether it's a therapist, a counselor, a recovery coach, um, yeah. right? Because yeah. there's so much, like you said, out in this world, right? Because I took for granted, like you said, the the sun, you know, the blue skies, the rain and noticing people. Now I'm such an observer of things around me, like, and mm -hmm. I don't take it for granted anymore because I know that at any minute, God can call me home and say, yeah, it's time for you to come home, you know? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, you're like that. You're like a beautiful example of like gratitude and, and, you know, you see it every day and that's like seeing it right there. You're seeing what's before you, you know, and I think sometimes we, you know, I know myself, I, I, I guess I can only say for me, but there was many times where I would only see the bad, you know, and I, or the what's lacking, you know, I, when I wouldn't see the abundance or the good that I do have. And, uh, I think now that I focus more on that, what is, what is good and what is working in my life, you know, the happier that I, that I am as well. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that's a, a key to a key to the recovery and, and the healing work. I mean, yeah, even if somebody doesn't subscribe, I mean, 12 steps have been around for a long time and it works, but there's so many different ways that people can attain recovery, you Absolutely. know, and I've, I've worked with, and I know you have as well worked with many people who've, and I call it sort of like your own, your own journey. You know, right. and you know, we know as humans what's right for us and what we feel, what we feel if we're, if we're given that space to like really tap into like, what do we really need? We do know. And I think that that's the beautiful thing that a coach or a therapist or whatnot can help you with is to connect with what do you really need? What, and, and identify right. that. And that's how the process can begin in terms of healing and, and coming back from that sort of stuff. Cause we don't know what we don't know. We can't see it. Right. So sometimes you have to work in relationship with someone, a coach, therapist, counselor, somebody right. who can help you see those blind spots and go, you know, well, hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, or what's over here? And, you know, just getting curious about some of that stuff. And I love I, I've seen many people experience recovery success with all sorts of different addictions by figuring out their own path. And some of those people, it's been 12 step and some not. Right. You know, exactly. And I so, have hey, friends that are sober that have never done 12 steps. Yeah. But they've done that hard work because they wanted something different for themselves, right? Exactly. But, right. You know, and I'm grateful for those guys and, and ladies and gentlemen. And but you said something yeah. about gratitude. I'm a big gratitude guy. Like oh, first I assignment I give my my clients is a gratitude journal. This is how what you're yeah. gonna you want to work with me, you're gonna do this every day. Cause I yeah. know it, it has saved my life, right? And I remember when I got like I said, I got sober the last time. I tell my, I'd walk into his office and I'm so grateful for this and blah, blah, you know what I mean? I'd be on top of pink cloud and everything. And he'd go, all right, Max, you tell me you're grateful. Now go show me because yeah. gratitude's an action word. And I would go, what do you mean? <laughs> mm. Right. So that's, and what I mean by that is you can say you're grateful all day long. Right. But we get off this call. I, I could absolutely go backwards and go, oh, 
darn it, I didn't ask Shelly this. I didn't ask Shelly on that and blah, 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 right? And I know it works because I went through some deaths in my family this past seven years, and I continued that gratitude journal even through those tough times where I definitely wanted to throw it out the window and go, you know what I mean? But I always tried to find something to be grateful for because it keeps me going. You know what I mean? It keeps me in that positive mindset. Do I get called Mr. Positivity sometimes? Absolutely. But I already know what the other side of that coin is. I've been there, so I never want to go back. Right. So if you want to call me Mr. Positive, absolutely. Because I'm grateful for the opportunities I get to do, like sit here with Shelly Ann and have this amazing conversation. Right. And this is for anybody, right? Not just us in recovery. I tell anybody who's struggling with depression or anxiety, I said, start a gratitude journal. Yeah. Start something, putting that because neuroscience, right? Yes. That if you put something in your brain first thing in the morning and then at night before you lay on your head on the pillow, it will build new neural pathways in your brain and you can't yep. but look at life more positive and yourself and others. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But does it's that such mean- a simple, it's such a simple thing to start too. And it does have, like you say, actual proven scientific benefits. Yeah, exactly. It will rewire the brain. And so, you know, mindset is everything when it comes to recovery. So right. you're a great example of that for sure. Well, and I know you are too, right? But yeah. It- Gratitude every day over here. Right? I don't post it on Facebook like you, but I'm like, yes, go Max when I see you do that. Because um, I have a hard time even being on Facebook, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I love it that you do that. But I do. I wake up every morning too. And I'm just like grateful that I have a day above ground, that I'm alive, right. that I have a home, that I have a bed to sleep in, you know, exactly. that I was warm, that I had food, you know, that I have somebody I love in my life, you know, and friends Absolutely. and family. Like I am, I am so grateful you know, for the littlest of things too, this fork to pick up my food with, or this cup to have my coffee with, you know, it's like, Absolutely. you know, so not just the big things, but the little things too. the socks on my feet, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. My feet are kind of cold and I got socks on my feet, but I'm still grateful. I got socks on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But you know, it's, it's, I was taught like someone challenged me like three or four years ago, do a gratitude thing every day on Facebook. You might be brightening somebody's day. And I have not stopped since. I've maybe missed one or two days here and there. But I just do the morning one, right? To hopefully brighten someone's day and let them know, right? Like they can. Yeah. You do. You brighten mine every time I see it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I think life is too short, right? Especially if you've lost loved ones that were close to you. Right. For me, I was grateful that I gave my mom 14 years of my sobriety, right? Mm -hmm. To have my mom tell me two weeks before she died, we were watching TV, we're at her assisted living, for her to like rub my leg and trying to give me this loving look. And I'm like, what's going on, mom? She's like, I just want to thank you for your 13 years of sobriety. And I was like, wow. oh, wait a minute. I wanted to say mom, 14. Let's get it right. But I didn't. Like I tell her, I have to laugh about that because yeah. part of me goes, how dare she forget I was 14 years yeah. sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what kind of, what, like to me, that's a bigger gift than me getting the car of my dreams than getting, you know what I mean? Um, So my kids being healthy, having open and honest conversations like this, and that are the gifts that mean the most to me. That to me is success. That to me means I'm a rich human being because I get to experience that, right? Of course, money's great. A house is great, but do we get to take that with us? No, right? But those moments, right, where I get to be there for, you know, I got to be there for my siblings who are five of us that are left now and uh, be there for my mom every Monday night, spend the night with her, you know, and listen to her tell me I was 49 at the time going, don't you think it's seven o'clock? Don't you think you need to go to bed? <laughs> it's your bedtime. Yeah. And I'm like, mom, I'm 49 years old. You need your rest. You need your rest. I'm like, okay. Mom. Uh-huh. But you know what I mean? That's the stuff that why I keep the gratitude going, because I can think about memories like that and go, this work has this inner work, this recovery thing works. And I wish and I'm sure like you, there's times you wish you can give a client. Here's what I've been through. Take this and you'll see what I'm talking about. But right. The beauty of what the work we do is we can guide them. It's up to them to do the work. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. How's, and trauma work. Tra- I'm sorry. Trauma work, like you said, it's like, it is actually, it's not fun necessarily. You know what no. I mean? But it's, 
but it's, uh, I think it takes courage to do it. And, and I think if you just do it in small bits, you know, right. like, I mean, you know, Absolutely. cause well, just do what you're just work on whatever part, you know, you feel is like, and cause I think we all know, right? Like where's our hurt, where's our pain coming from? And if you can identify that and just start there and if, you know, whatever that may be. And then there could be other things that uncover along the way. But if you just start with like the, the thing, the nugget, the piece that's really bothering you right now, or keeps coming up or that you suspect, and then you start there and then just do that little bit of work and then take a break and then go to the next thing. And, and I think just, just being really curious and, and uh, willing to right. explore what's possible for you. I think that if you can adopt that kind of a mindset of, of like, well, if I explore this and that, you know, what is possible for me and, and be curious about that. Absolutely. I'd be really amazed, you know, at what's possible. Exactly. And that's what I try to do is get them curious of like what it's like, right? Because as you know, when you're first working with someone, they sometimes they're so closed off because of the hurt they've been through or, and they're, you know, they're coming off whatever they're doing, right? They're just like, I don't want to deal with this right now. But now we get to, you know, this has been such an amazing time with you, Shelly Ann. So. Well, thank you. And you too. I appreciate it. So now I get to the question, my favorite questions, right? And I'm going to start with this one. So you see my little, I wrote a book. Yeah. Name is my podcast, right? So I like to ask my guests. So Shelly Ann, what does fearless mean to you? And what does that look like on a daily basis for you? Fearless. Fearless means I'm, I'm not afraid to try. Like I'm not afraid to move forward. Um, but fear, I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I never feel fear, you know, but sometimes I just feel, I, I feel fear, but then I'm like, I just trust that, you know, my higher power and that I have the strength to like come through or go through something. And then I just like trust in that and take a step forward and, and do what scares the heck out of me. And I find that if I do do that, then I always benefit for it in the end. I mean, even just walking through the door of a recovery meeting the first time I ever tried one was one of the scariest things in my life you know what's on the other side of that door I'm, i'll never I remember forgetting who was on the other side of that door you know but i just had to like dig deep and so i think i do that every day so every day i just dig deep and i go you know what i'm just going to show up for my life and what's here before me and do the best that i can and so i think just you know showing up the best version of myself that i possibly can in all things and some days that might be more than others, you know, but just trying to be that way. I think that's me living fearlessly. Um, and I think every day living without a substance uh, or under the influence is a day that I've lived fearlessly. Absolutely. I love it. That's an awesome answer, right? Because if people are listening to that, they're going to be like, oh, ooh, I like what she just said, right? Didn't think of it. The, the way you frame that is they're going to be thinking like, oh, right, it's braver to be without the drugs and alcohol than it is, right? Because totally. I love that. That's oh, awesome. Woo. Got me thinking about that one. That was good. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so my second question good is question. happiness with a Y in it. What does happiness mean to you? And how does that show up in your daily life? Well, that's a tougher question because sometimes I think that we, you know, we, I, I guess, okay, well, I say I think that sometimes that we live in this world where we all think that we have to be happy about everything all the time. And I think that that in some ways that that's actually not good because if we don't actually know the other side of things, then we don't know when we are actually happy. Right. You know, like if I've never experienced sorrow and pain, then I don't know when I'm actually happy. And so I feel like happiness for me, when I really experience, it's the opposite of those low moments, you know, and right. or those times when I was feeling really down or really sad or really hurt or really angry. And so anytime that I'm the opposite of those so-called uncomfortable emotions, I feel like I'm in happiness place. And, uh, and happiness is just whatever brings me joy, you know, in the moment. And most times it's, it's people in connection which is something that I never really, you know, thought about before. But now that I'm in recovery, I know that it's like critical. Nice. So, and so that's where sometimes I have to be fearless, right? Because sometimes being with people, like I'm an extrovert, but sometimes being with people takes a lot of energy for me. And that was why I'd use a lot of drugs and alcohol. I just get wasted. I would be the life of the party. I could talk with anyone and do it. So now like 
like I host a motorcycle um, event night, uh, like a ride group every week uh, here in, in um, Kelowna. And then, and now we have like a social event that we do in the off season. And I need to like muster up a lot of energy just to go and be there, you know? And it's right. like to be there sober and like ah, show up with all those people. But man, I love it when I go and I get, and I enjoy Like when I get there and, I, and I'm with everybody, I, s- I experience such happiness because of the connection. So I think connection is happiness for me. Sorry, that was a really long answer. No, that's perfect. Perfect. I mean, if you think about it, right? Like I work remotely now and I I, I see, I used to like, I like this, right? I don't have to deal with anybody, right? Like I don't have to deal with anybody. If I want, I can just turn off my computer, my phone, and I don't have to deal with anybody. Mm-hmm. But then part of me does miss being out of facility and and actually interacting, you know, face to face with someone. Uh, so I don't take that for granted anymore. I don't take the granted for granted that I get to work remotely and and ultimately, right? Happiness is what makes me happy or you know, it comes from inside. So it doesn't matter, right? Like I I this is happiness to me sitting here with Telly Ann having a great conversation and hearing her her perspective of recovery and what makes her happy and her challenges, right? Because my hope is someone hears what you shared, right? And if they're struggling, I hope to God they reach out to you. You know what I mean? Because that's, it doesn't matter. I just want people not to be afraid to ask for help. That is, to me, the biggest sign of courage. And that makes me happy. That's happiness for me is watching. Because I had to learn the hard way to ask for help, you know? And I remember someone saying, you're more of a man for asking for help than if not. You know, and yep. so I believe that humans are are very strong when they put down the wall and they ask for help and they get. I hundred percent agree. Yeah. Uh, so I think I love, that is, that's the most strength. That like gets a lot of courage and a lot of strength to ask for help or support. Right. Yeah. I absolutely, and I appreciate that. So, um, one thing I like to ask now, right? This has like been great. So people pay attention. I hope you've been paying attention to Shelly Ann. So Shelly Ann, if one of my audience members or if many, whatever, want to reach out to you, they need your help. How do they get a hold of you? Well, I mean, my website, which is uh, shellyannmckay.com. So uh, do you want, I don't know if you share it somewhere or do you want me to spell it out? Because it's. I'll share okay. it in the show notes or whatever. I'll okay. make sure they get it. We get it out. But when you yeah. send me your bio, I'll make sure that we put all that stuff in there. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So I, I would say my website, uh, which is obviously then shared shared uh, along with this um, uh, link to this podcast or whatever. So I'd say my website uh, or email, one of the two. Um, and you know, I, I, I like not only can I help somebody personally, but I also have like an entire roster of coaches who I've trained around the world um, can help people connect with with you. You know, so I mean, um, I'm kind of like just that. Uh, that's, I think, one of the gifts that I do bring. So like, I will, you know, connect with me, let me know who's your right kind of people, who, who you think would be the perfect person to help you to have, you know, a journey to recovery and a life of recovery. And I'll help match you up. Like, I, I'm a kind of like the dating matchmaker, but for recovery coaches in lots of ways, you know, and for people wanting recovery. So every I've matched everything from Olympic athletes and celebrities to you know, the single mom at home who just barely has any money to do coaching. And right. so finances don't need to be a barrier either. I've got, you know, coaches at all levels in my roster who are, are, are just wanting to achieve, uh, you know, their certifications. And so sometimes they're there available to help people too. So at all price points, at all skill levels and um, yeah, just happy to help connect people. I love it. That's so awesome. You heard her, you heard her, everybody. Don't be afraid, shellyannmckay.com, right? Or you can find her on Facebook. She's on there sometimes. Like you heard her though, not very often. So you're going to have to reach out through email or uh, her website. So, Well, or Facebook or Instagram works too. Um, I just like, I I run very busy practice. So, um, you know, if I don't respond to somebody's message right away, don't worry. I guarantee I respond to everything. I'm just not like 24 seven plugged in. Cause that's a boundary that I have actually. I, so right. I, I don't, I don't spend too much time on social media cause it can be triggering for me. So gotcha. yeah. You heard it everybody. Wow. This is, we could go for another hour or two probably, you know what I mean? I love it. Thank you. 
Again, so much for taking the time, but you're not quite off the hook yet. I get to ask. Okay. One, I ask one last question that I ask of all my guests, and it goes like this: So, Shelly Ann, um, what is the one piece of advice you could give my audience to help them grow as a human being and become better people? Whoa! What is the one piece of advice? I think it's dream big. You know, like no matter what people tell you that you can't do or can't be or can't have or you're not good enough for this or you don't deserve that, I say BS. You can have anything that you can envision and dream. And I think I'm a good example of that because there's no way that I would have like ever believed that this was possible for me to live a life like I do now. And so I say dream it. Dream it and you can have it. I love it. That's awesome. You heard it, everybody. Ain't nothing to nothing's impossible if you just put in the work and dream big. Wow, this has been amazing. Uh, like I said, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Shelly Ann. You heard her, everybody. You know, if Shelly Ann made you think, if you learned something, if she made you smile, and if she made you go, hmm, I like that. Please go to iTunes and leave a five-star review and um, so everybody can find the podcast. Um, and again, we had such a great time with you here, Shelly Ann. Um, until next time, everybody. Are you tired of being weighed down by life's traumas and struggles? Join the Fearless Happiness Lifestyle and let us guide you toward a brighter future. Explore our past podcast episodes and get a copy of the Fearless Happiness book to ignite your inner strength. If you or someone you love is battling addiction or facing challenges related to unresolved trauma, know that we are here for you. Visit maxnaist.org, M-A-X-N-I-J-S-T dot O-R-G, and take the first steps toward finding your fearless happiness. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of Fearless Happiness.